Hi, I'm your host, Connor Byrne, and welcome to this episode of That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique stories. In today's episode, I meet the brilliant Kay McCarthy, founder of renowned independent strategic agency, MCCP. Kay has worked with and for some amazing brands like Heineken, Aer Lingus, O2 Telefonica, and Diageo, to name a few. I met Kate many years ago and was just fascinated by her passion for consumer insights. I, I'd never seen anything quite like it. In today's episode, we talk about how Kay focused on what she enjoyed through her career, the right top box, as she calls it, and how that led her to bravely set up MCCP during a recession. We chat about work she has done, like the first ever female beer segmentation, how Guinness Dancing Man was just a filler campaign that blew up, how to balance global and local marketing, hint, it's about connectivity, and Kay gives you her advice on how to start gathering insights. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I have. Hey, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing podcast. Um, I've obviously, the, introducing you, I've told people a bit about a bit about you and, and your work at MCCP, but I'd love to hear in your own words, kind of your story and how you've ended up, um, you know, at and founding MCCP. Thanks, Connor. Uh, it's it's probably a long story and a short <laughs> story, depending on what side of it you want to look. But a couple of things, and maybe some things you didn't know about me. I actually started out in banking back in um, the late 80s, early 90s. I had a master's in economics after doing a, a degree in European studies, which I really recommend. It was a broad but a great foundation for business, actually. Economics is just a brilliant foundation because it's about the laws of demand and supply, which which we're always coming back to. And I suppose add that into what I've learned along the way, made great ingredients. So I suppose point one, you don't always start out with where you end up. And sometimes, you know, the best people didn't start to train in that area from their foundation. Uh, so I started out doing a postgrad in banking in London when I suppose my generation had to emigrate and it was right. a melting pot at that time. Banking was and uh, believe it or not. Uh, so I started out in NatWest and they were number one in their in their game and they had a very good postgraduate um degree uh, graduate program um, and I learned a lot but I suppose what I learned very quickly I failed my banking exams and oh. I never failed an exam before <laughs> and I think it was because I was having such a great time in London and I didn't really like banking but what I loved about banking was I was put interviewing small businesses for loan approvals and I quickly learned that I could ask really good questions and I could really tell a good loan from a bad loan from from what I was asking and I suppose through that course, look, I was exposed to lots of things from from credit to lending uh, to the great nuts and bolts of banking. But I found out pretty quickly what I loved and what I didn't like. Um, and I was on a great team and I found my way into the centre of uh, segmentation and marketing for SMEs. And I spent two years there with brilliant consultants, people coming from consulting background. And just a, it was great fun and a great team. And I learned a lot about segmentation and indeed the biggest finding was that I really wanted to work in marketing and brand and strategy, actually, you know, learning out which customers were more valuable versus which ones weren't and how to profile those for the bank for their better business and SMEs at the time. Just uh, like it was the curiosity, Kay, that got you. Like, was it just desperation and curiosity? (laughs) I learned that I was really, if I was going to stay in London, I had to bloody well get really good at something really quickly. But I suppose I was allured into the curiosity. Yeah, you know, it was the quantification of them, really. You know, so they had, they were number one in SMEs and they wanted to grow. 
But they learned, it was back to the 80-20 rule and a lot of the borrowing sharp thinking that there was a lot of customers they were spending a lot of time with and they weren't actually usually valuable. So they were chasing the wrong customers and how to focus and the market segmentation as opposed to their segmentation um, drew that. So they had a lot of professionals, obviously, in their banks, if I remember correctly, uh, versus startups and the mix, just getting the right mix. So I suppose the curiosity and how to move the spotlight from what they had to what they need to have, it drew me in. And I suppose my economics learning also came to the fore there. So yes, the curiosity, the analysis and the strategic decisions and you know being part of that mix. And look, I was very young, obviously I had masters, I was 21 and I thought I knew everything, but I learned loads. And um, it was also great fun because it was, it was London and yeah. it was a great mix. I was working with some Greeks, with some Scottish people, with more Irish people all who went on to do brilliant things it was just a great time to be in london fast learning so i think it was curiosity but also i knew i had to find what i was really good at in banking yeah. <laughs> that i wasn't going to be a banker <laughs> so then i learned uh, quite quite quickly also that in in banking you know you really had to be a bank uh, a banker to, to succeed to get ahead and i kind of spotted that at that time uh, so then I said, well, if actually I'm very good at marketing and, and strategy and I was back and forth to Dublin because my friends were here. Where do I go next when that graduate program finishes? That's yeah. really good at marketing and branding. And this was part of my, I suppose, learned DNA over time is is being analytical, but learning where to focus. So I door knocked when I came back because at the time, if you remember, in 1991, there was very few jobs. Um, so... And and connections. I met people. I'd ask them questions, and they said, "You know, you know, who's doing a good bit of that right now?" It was Guinness, um, and there was some brilliant people at Guinness at the time, and that's where I kind of pitched my tent, and they took me in actually to do a segmentation. Janet French and Peter Nash, uh, the, the marketing research team, as it was, brilliant. It's a brilliant team across the board in Guinness, and they obviously it was it was pre Diageo days, but they had all the beer brands. You know, it was very exciting. Yeah. Um, Budweiser was being launched. Harper's being rejuvenated. There was lots of problems in beer to solve and a segmentation became very quickly at the front and fore of it. So I was on the segmentation team and I spent eight years there cutting my teeth in really probably at the time one of the best marketing departments because they had good budgets and they weren't afraid to embrace techniques wherever the best came from. So I worked on the Guinness Essence, worked on the Guinness Brand Identity, which still has to stand the test yeah. of time today, about 30 years later, um, with an American and a UK agency and an Irish agency. Uh, I worked in the first female segmentation, believe it or not, at the time, you know, females were coming right. into beer from spirits yeah. and wine. Um, and so, you know, kind of a lot of firsts. So I was very lucky. But again, it was because it was, I found something I loved doing, which was kind of the intersection of insight into marketing strategy and brands and ended up working on the Guinness brand as kind of senior marketing uh, role, uh, reporting into some great marketing directors and great team, great colleagues. So I worked across sponsorships, brand positioning, comms, obviously, mainly advertising at the time with huge ad budgets. If you remember Joe McKinney, um, Dancing Man, the, the I was going to ask campaign. what was the campaigns at that time, but would have been that one, that was... Yeah, that was an interim campaign, believe it or not. So I actually worked on the tracking of that campaign. So Milward Brown, everything was pre-tested in Guinness long before anybody else was able right. to keep that. It. And it was, um, was uh, Arx Advertising. Um, and there was a gap between campaigns and um, the geniuses that were at the time came up with this as called, it was the filler campaign 
But it, it was a disruptive piece of communication that had everybody dancing on the dance floor and went on to have like really high memorability and impact on the brand, actually. Um, so there you got to just work on great projects and great people, but also to work on international projects because Ireland was leading projects at the time, like some of the segmentation. Centre of Excellence. Um, almost, yeah, at the yeah. time. Yeah, and that, that then became Diageo. And um, I suppose, you know, great colleagues, great training, great mentoring. Uh, and I was allowed to come to the fore, like my gender didn't stop me at the time, or at least I felt it didn't. Uh, and I would push myself because I loved what I'm doing and, and with a great bunch of people, all who went on to do great things. Yeah. You know, my colleagues are big CMOs and, and further on in, in, in different areas. And I suppose there then I learned, look, you know, I learned all the classics of brand management, which really was the training ground. So getting to somewhere good where there was a lot of diversity of experience, uh, but it was concentrated in alcohol or mainly beer. But that would have been a big part of marketing at the time. So I then kind of quickly realized, look, what I love doing is brand management, but it's brand and marketing and strategy at its yeah. core, fed by insight. So when you kind of, and I, I know what I didn't like, so was I didn't like the nuts and bolts of banking or becoming a banker. I also didn't like the nuts and bolts of kind of more the, I suppose, more the the execution in right. of activation. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did it and I was I was okay at it, but the focus really was strategy and how to take brands to get the right choices and to take them from A to B uh, successfully and grow and rejuvenate them. So when you, I suppose, when I then aligned upon my focus area, so I was kind of in my late 20s at this point, um, you start to see different opportunities. So one um, came at me, which is to head up to bring strategy into McCann Erickson at the time. They were a, creative, a very creative agency um, and they were growing and they had all the other skill sets, but they hadn't uh, got strategy yet. And that was the time, I think, where strategy was moving into every agency needs to have a really good strategy director. And this was because I had my Guinness experience and I really liked the people I met who were the creative directors and the MD and the team at the time. Uh, they were a great bunch of talented people. So I, I got the job and it was to bring the consumer inside. And I remember we used to be doing focus groups and the whole agency would be watching it because it was a new thing, you know, getting close to the consumer. Yeah. Um, the agency was in a big growth uh, curve and we won a lot of business um, and a lot of awards over that time period. And I had exposure to brands. I'd been planning director on kind of the like Coca-Cola, the whole Coca-Cola portfolio, Nestle, Microsoft, Xbox, you know, so very wide banks again. Uh, and laterally Heineken, so a wide range, a wide portfolio. A lot of that work so would I, have been done, sorry, a lot of that work would have been done locally. It wasn't maybe like it is now, where it was like a global... Yeah, it was very much locally, Connor, yeah. at the time. And you had, you know, huge competitive agencies at the time, McConnell, Irish Internationals, Peter yeah. Holmes, brilliant agencies, all doing local work. Um, and then laterally, you know, you'd Rotco. So you'd, you, that kind of layered on. It was at the time where localization was in, as we know, it goes swing forward yeah. and backwards all the time. So it was fun. It was fun. It was advertised. It was also activation. And I was media. So I would have been able to work across the three. So it was integrated. And it was that's then what I lighted upon. And there we won the Coca-Cola account. So we're the only market to keep it. And strategy was cited as the key reason. So I was very right. lucky to get, um, I suppose, taken from Dublin, the Dublin office, to a role at EMEA to head up strategy and to bring strategy into their kind of global um, comms unit. Wow. So it was, an in, it, was a, it was an integrated role for EMEA and to bring strategy. So I went to London, I suppose I was just about 30 as global head of EMEA, and I quickly kind of got a role in their board, EVP, which is kind of, you know, a very prestigious role yeah. in New York. And I had 
a lot of then vast experience from going from local to global and realized how long it takes to do something globally. I'm sure you'll <laughs> recognize this and how much engagement is important. And then, you know, how different the markets, you know, where do you draw the line in terms of differentiations versus commonalities for global campaigns and how to bring that nuance into it. So it was a brilliant experience. And I spent eight years there and it was, you know, foundational like the Guinness was, but I had a lot more breadth to um, different campaigns, learned to bring my brand work through, insight work. I developed a lot of tools there um, and how exciting it was, you know, new campaigns, new categories, uh, local and global work. And I suppose then an opportunity came up. So again, you know, what was I enjoying? I was enjoying the leadership of teams, influencing them to take on ideas and to transfer them. So a job came up in Dublin, and this was kind of 2007 when you know Celtic Tiger yeah. was in its full flash. Yeah, people <laughs> so definitely, yeah, exactly. They don't forget, you know. Uh, so deputy MD job came up. So I kind of was torn actually, and I, you know, I analyzed both sides and I could have stayed in London I really enjoyed it but I decided no I'd give Dublin one more quack you know so I came back as WMD uh, to the McCann role and really enjoyed it for two more years but I suppose it had changed and I had changed you know there's a saying that you never enter the same water twice the same river twice and what had changed was the market context as you remember everybody was putting loads of money into campaigns into digital was a new thing but people had lost sense of who they were and what they were even the country did so I yeah. quickly observed, <laughs> so my observation skills sat in and said, like, all oh, these clients are spending all this money. They've lost their kind of, you know, they're just chasing new, basically, um, as, was, as was the country. Um, so I saw in all of that, look, what I really wanted was independent strategy, you know, informed by the consumer. So I kind of kind of hummed and hawed about it for a while. Uh, and I suppose I'm quite, in, in my instincts, I'm not, I'm not conservative. I'm quite brave. I'll take, take a calculated decisions. But also I had a, cha- you know, it was a challenge. Um, and I suppose I got married, moved house, and jumped um, a very good career in advertising, let's say, uh, to set up my own business. So I think when you make the move, do it well. <laughs> so I did all three <laughs> yeah, within, within a year. And as that's kind of, you know, you know, you don't make moves off when you make them. You've got to really make them because you want them. And I was following my passion as well, which was about, you know, really, I felt, you know, a lot of um, things were wrong in the industry and people weren't thinking properly. They were following. There was lack of independent thinking. They were just following the money. Clients were following budgets and agencies were happy to go there. So that was a big decision and I was never looked back so 15 years ago uh, set up MCCP as the independent strategy company which really connects insight you know what consumers are looking for to brand and company strategy organization strategies so how can you grow uh, based on the right choice and that needs to be really simple but rigorous Uh, so bring that in and being very collaborative working with clients and obviously in the interlink between clients and agencies but mainly directly with clients and since then you know very very proud of the team we started in a recession 2008 it yeah. wasn't by choice it was by what by were you thinking yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but oddly enough and this is this is one of the lessons you know sometimes um when you feel you need to do something that's probably the right time because that's actually when the time that most clients need a strategy so sometimes yeah. the contrary to what you might believe is true they were cutting back on budgets, but they needed to focus on their core and get that right before they spent. So actually, coincidentally, it was the best time. And we kind of went from one to five people really quickly, you know, which is the first kind of hardest move. And then from five to kind of the next level um, in the next layer of growth because of our reputation and yeah. took on some really big clients and won one big business and were invited to speak on Can 
um, in that second phase of growth because we had done really good work in the first five years. So it was it was really exciting times. Um, but I suppose, so starting banking, ended up owning a strategy agency, very, I suppose, um, counterintuitive yeah. to what might see. But the, the lessons I had been learned in, I suppose, my economics degree uh, in terms of demand supply overlaid by good consumer psychological thinking and marketing learning through my work in segmentation and in Guinness gave me the, the combination of skills um, to do what I do. And, and, and that getting that focus, I think, which is very important for our clients and having that breadth and depth of expertise and challenge. Like we bring challenge because we grew up in challenging times. Myself personally, uh, going to London, starting out in banking, uh, deciding to leave a very big job, uh, both in Guinness, actually, and in McKenna Erickson to set up my own. So we have that brave, bold kind of base and rigor ethos um, that clients want when they want to grow, because staying in their kind of day to day um, routines and being complacent is not a good place to future proof. Yeah. And I love in in that story how, you know, of your journey to, to today in many ways, how you you kept coming back to the things that were giving you almost like the most energy, you know, where you were like, yes. actually, that's something where I'm just, I'm loving that. I can actually lose these bits and do this and I'll still love what I'm doing. And that's, you know, that's wonderful. Yeah, I call it the top right hand box. Kind of. right. So I always get myself a little square and write, what do I love doing? Yeah. What am I really good at? Because it's very hard for yourself to know what you're really good at. Obviously, you get all the feedback. But, you know, I'm not one of those people who kind of, you know, I'm brilliant at this. But what do I love doing? And what don't I love doing? And I put some of that on the right and what I don't love on the left. What am I really good at? So I get feedback from people I really trust. And what do I need to learn to be good at that's necessary to be good at, at my in my role? And kind of I get that get that quarter really right. Yeah. And then I say, if I, if I really go for this, and I also do believe in investing the hours in it, like nobody's naturally, very few people are naturally good at anything. It's, it's a percent, you know, a very small percent. And really finding the right place to learn those hours and to put those hours in, that you'll get the right reward in return. So that's, you know, the company you keep, literally your colleagues, you know, are these people, you know, that you will learn a lot from mentoring are these, you know, your bosses, somebody who'll give you the time, who will help you learn um, the stimulus you're going to get there, their agency partners, the landscape. And then I will work outside of that myself to make sure I do to fill the gaps. So when you're passionate, you know, you're not working anymore. It's, you're doing what you love and you're therefore very committed. Um, and if it's if it's all stuff that's on the left hand side, stuff I don't like doing, it's going to be really hard oh, yeah. work. It's a long day when that's the a long day. Yeah. 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 And yeah. we all know it's a long day enough anyway. Yeah. So you've got to make sure you love it as, as opposed to wasting that time. You know, it's even funny as you're saying that I actually find when I'm if I'm interviewing somebody for a role, you know, that could be on my team or something, I'm looking for that as well. Like the, how can I learn from this person? Because I know exactly. I don't know it, you know, and I know yeah. my journey was not linear. So I'm still learning as I, as I no, go. We're all still know. learning. Yeah. I think if you meet someone who thinks they know it all, you know, you're probably talking to the wrong person. You know, where <laughs> I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning loads. And I learn lots from people who are much younger than me and my mm. colleagues and, and clients as much as people who are a lot more actually than people who are, maybe 
slightly older than me yeah. uh, and may have more because of their life experience. I think people who grew up now are used to very different experiences. It's not, it's not to say that experience from the past, like it's absolutely huge and, and we can't forget that people, you know, there's an ageist thing in, in our category yeah. and there's a huge amount of expertise out there from people. But if you fuse that with new experience, you're really onto something because you start to challenge some conventions and yeah. it gets you to think. And the answer may not be either of them, but at least it gets you to think what could be uh, as opposed to what was or what is. Yeah, I, as we've talked about in our team as well, that things like, you know, there's things that you've done in the past that you should learn from, but don't let them hold you back for doing, you know, doing things in the future. Because yeah. like, yeah. it's that balance of like, what is the experience going to, yeah. going to tell you? But like, yeah. you can, it can hold you back, which is a risk, right? That you can yeah. go, well, well we've done this a great before. example. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Can I ask you? You touched on one thing that I, I want to ask you about. Um, in your in the, some of the global roles, was that local, global, and kind of the balance between the two and getting that right, and how you really have to truly understand the differences. How do you, or how have you gone about kind of yeah, doing that and helping yeah. clients through that? Yeah. Because it's a difficult one. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose I'll tell you, yeah, so that's a great question. So, and, and companies go through this kind of wave of global everything and then local. Um, so I was fortunate, so going back in the day, I was fortunate enough to work on a pitch for Tourism Ireland, which we won. And I led the strategy on at Dublin. So it was an international pitch and it was great that Dublin won it. And great, obviously, at the time that McCann won it, which went on to win many awards. And I also was very lucky to work on the MasterCard campaign, which was ran out of New York and London when I was there as part of the team. Okay, so there are two good examples. Um, so I'll talk about them and then I'll talk about other campaigns, maybe in Ireland. So um, Tourism Ireland uh, is, is, tourism by their nature is, you know, you, you want to go to a destination and most countries will be driven by their, their geographical distance. So they won't all have the same view of the lovely Ireland that maybe the French and Germans will think it's a romantic place to go. It's green and we love the coastline. The Americans, because this is a simple shorthand, yeah. the Americans will love it because of our, their American DNA Irish. and the yeah. Irish diaspora. And they see us in a particular way. On the other hand, if you go to China, they rarely have heard of us. You know, they confuse us, confuse us with other countries. So that was a good example where where you can have a common positioning. So the brand wheel, the brand positioning needs to be its rock its core can be very common a lot of people confuse brand with marketing strategy you know so the brand stands for the three core values in the same way as Guinness was pretty much or Heineken pretty much um but then we would group markets because the differences we had worked out in that example the differences were so great between clusters of markets they were significantly different enough to warrant separate campaigns and there was enough consumers in those markets to warrant separate investment of, to make those campaigns so um so that's one kind of rule are there more are there more in common than more indifferent and of course if you're working in a local market you will show up and say there's massive differences but if you're at the center you've got to look at are there clusters of markets that can be put together do they share common needs or can we have a universal campaign everybody in global likes a universal campaign yes. especially agency networks because it rolls itself around the world the plant's very happy they have one dashboard and it's consistent and in a global world people love consistency that if you go for your pint of Heineken 
in Amsterdam, it's the same as in the States, although the ABV might be different as Ireland. We love that. That's the perfect world and it's very efficient. We all know the perfect world doesn't exist and cultural um, differences exist. Attitudes in the category, um, the competitive context and just cultural norms. So it's rare to get it. It does exist in some categories, but you've got to work out are the differences significant enough to warrant separate investment in which you make different campaigns. And then the next layer is, um, so you've got same suitcases everywhere, universal campaign. You've got clustered campaigns, which is a hybrid of it. And then if they're so different, like if the if the norms are, and voted, you know, big, big successful brands tend to transverse geographies because they are and their categories allow them like a telephone is a telephone no matter where you do it. Beer has more cultural differences. Um, if you get into so Dove, for example, is pretty universal um, as a campaign, which is a great campaign, but they may show different um ethnic groups or ethnic mixes because um, different skins will have different issues and based on the market composition, for example. The same with food, it can be cultural. So you'll have nuances. Uh, And tourism was such as well where you could cluster. So a client loves commonality, especially at the global level, but there will be differences. And that's where you you apply. I suppose MasterCard is a pretty good example because they would have ran and it'd be, you know, it's a great idea, priceless. And it would run for many years. Um, they would have been able to do global campaigns, but then weave in local executions. So they made local ads to meet the campaign. The campaign was yes. consistent, priceless to meet the market needs where the market demand was enough and the budgets allowed. So I think hybrid, which is you know a word we're all using a lot more comfortable using now, probably is the truth of somewhere in between that you can have global ideas because the world is fast globalized, but where there are cultural norms, you need to reflect those because otherwise you're in risk of just people turning off and not connecting. And I think connecting, we used to use connecting a lot about 15 years ago, but I think truly connecting culturally is going to be very important as we come out of this and into the next few years because a lot of the we're seeing a lot of polarization being amplified through social media etc and a retrenchment into local entrenchment into identity it's not to say we should have local campaigns for everything but it needs to be connecting a little bit more yeah I th- I absolutely connecting it's interesting i always find you know what i would say to people if you ask somebody you know in ireland you know they're different to people in england and then in ireland People in Dublin are different to people in Cork. Like we're, we're not all, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, we're not going to yeah, do like a yeah. TV cam. So it has to, yeah, I think you're right. It's finding the the truth in those differences and what that's actually planning. Is, that's planning yeah. right there, Connor. So it's finding that human truth because human truths traverse. We all have sense of humor. So the guy, like humor is amazing because it's so different that the Scottish guy is very different to the Welsh guy, is very different to the Irish guy, to the Cork person, to the Dublin person. But they all share emotions. They all share human. And it's how you execute against those nuances. And that's where creativity meets um management and planning to get that balance right but big ideas do cross and I always think that the power of a good idea is that it's really universal and then how you execute it needs to take advantage of those cultural differences. Yeah Snickers is probably a good example as well you're not you and you're hungry like I think that's wonderful because you could do anything with that locally but then the global um, Rowan Atkinson, Mr Bean ad like that ad worked across the globe I think they tested it was the most popular ad but then they had lots of other local executions around it i think there was some 
even activations in hotels and stuff. You know, like just fun. Yeah, that's a way, way where yeah. you can take it down exactly. into local markets and you know make it work. And that's and then everybody's happy because the local teams get to really you know power it up locally. And that's a win-win. You know where you can do that, and obviously you can do it for those mass categories. But if you've got a smaller budget, you got to unfortunately be a lot more disciplined. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's the that's the key. It's the, you know knowing knowing what's uh, what's up for grabs and what's not as well, yes. you know, and being realistic yeah. about it. I'd love to chat to you just a bit about some of the marketing beliefs you've maybe had, because marketing has evolved and changed. And I think some of the beliefs we may have had, maybe we don't hold as firm to now, or actually there might be some marketing beliefs here. Like, actually, no, I, I've just, I uncovered this in DI and Guinness, and I've always held firm to this particular belief. So I'd love to hear about some of those beliefs that you've yeah. either evolved or, or held on to. Well, I suppose some of them are truths that I still hold. Like, and one of them is like your brand positioning and your essence piece. That that's a very foundation piece of work. And a lot of brand managers think that you know because their cycle is about every three years, and marketing directors, I think it's less now actually, is less than three years that they feel they need to come in and change it. You know, and I, so I think that's the first thing. You know, don't change anything if it's not you know for the sake of change it and marketers are business people ultimately and they need to think of it as a business you know you don't change it if, if just for the sake of change it. so your essence remains fixed a lot of people conflate marketing strategy with brand strategy and they are two different things um and comms and they think you know that ad campaigns are marketing strategy and brand strategy they're not the same at all your product proposition is probably the most important thing um even if you can't find differences you know what are your usps or proof points before you get to your ad campaign. And ad campaign is just one part of your artillery, but it, it is a very sexy part. And a lot of people get, get into that and they forget to go back to the basics, your brand, you know, your brand positioning, your, your segmentation, um, your proof points, your category inventory points. Um, and so so they're, they're truths that can get messed around, I suppose, and that's kind of you know, very important. Your strategic framework then is very important. One of the, I suppose, pieces that um, I think Byron Sharp particularly, and I, I'm a big fan of Byron Sharp's thinking, um, you know, around light users and the penetration piece, I think that was pretty revelationary because a lot of categories that I would have worked on, confectionery, beer, alcohol, um, et cetera, et cetera, always chasing those heavy user profiles. How can we get more heavy users? And obviously he's shown that, you know, it's not the case because they're a very small percent. And if you increase, you know, so the 80, whilst the 20 rule does apply to most categories, if you try to increase the, it's very hard to find them. It's very hard to convert them. And you'll only grow your brands by about 5%. So yeah. you do need to get penetration and lighter users, which is kind of counterintuitive because there's just a lot of them out there. So back into presence marketing, mental and physical availability, and a lot of clients will focus on physical availability, you know, and forget the emotion piece or when we rock up, how are we? You know, are we are we grabbing people's mind? And of course, that's become so hard because there's so much data, so much noise out there. I suppose the other one building on that is big data. Everybody talked about it was like the gold rush. I'm still waiting to see very good insights that come off big data that can be used at a big level. It's happening, but it's slow. Um, and it's more at the execution level, like media planning, I suppose, yes. where it feeds in. So I suppose, you know, the rush to new isn't always the right rush. It's to have considered perspective. And that's where expertise and experience comes in. I think in terms of the rush to new isn't always the right thing to do. It's to put it back into a strategic, you know, and look at your kind of your 
your jobs to be done, I call it, at a brand yeah. and at a strategy level. The other one is keeping it simple. A lot of strategy is hugely complex. And when we go in to look at our clients' work, if it doesn't exist in a page, it cannot be done, is what I say. You know, where is your one pager? You'll get 20 page decks, 10 page exec summaries. Who can remember all that no. stuff? So keep it, you know, keep it simple, as always be the thing. But yeah. that takes a lot of time to write that short version and that considered version and work to that. You're better off executing against something that's like 80% there as opposed to trying to, you know, make it a big tome. Um, the other one is like, I think people think research is the answer to everything. Uh, and this is might feel rich coming from somebody like me. Um, <laughs> I think in, insight is the answer to everything. Yes. So stop spending lots of money finding out nothing um, that you have moved a tiny percent. That might be important to know. It's actually far more important to know how you're going to get the next customers. So looking in the rear view mirror is very comfortable for a CEO or for a CMO, but you damn need to be looking ahead because that's where the change is going to occur and how you're going to get the next base of customers. So foresight is far more interesting than, um, you know, keep keep tracking, but it's not going to tell you that much. It'll tell you how you can tweak and change, but you're better off having really good foresight in terms of what's changing and then testing, obviously, to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot there. I suppose it, could, it could go on and on, but um, on the it's staying focused, yeah. I was going to ask on the insight, like, you know, if I'm in, you know, someone listening to this and I'm in a, I'm in a marketing team and I feel like I'm, we're not doing insight well, what would you say to them to go do tomorrow like what is this something i would say stop everything you're doing i would say put write up all the things you're doing on a whiteboard right and saying what what of which of those are informing you to make the best choice you need to make so so first of all i'd start with your problem what what is the problem i'm trying to solve how do i grow my brand how do i premise how do i beat the private labels how do i get share of for x age group or x cohort share of whatever the new next gen Next gen is yeah. where it's at for all clients. How do I get next gen without without impacting on my current heavy users? Usually a challenge. Or how do I grow my business without losing what I have? So line up all the bits of research that you have. You'll have a lot of them. Most people have a lot of them. Which of those are doing what job for me? And then what what of those are doing the job that I need to do to inform me about the job that I'm that I really need to do, right? So it's fine if they they need to continue to exist at some level. Can I stop some of them, repurpose them? Then I said, what is the one thing that I need to find out? And it's usually, what is the insight to unlock for this audience to embrace my product or brand to differentiate versus my competitors? How am I going to find that? And that's where you need to involve your insight partners or consultants. Yeah. You know, and it's and there you shouldn't start with the solution. It's a bit of quant, it's a bit of qual, because it's neither. It's actually how am I going to find out the most potent insight to unlock that growth? What do I know about them? Because it's surprising, Connor, how much stuff people know that they don't know if they made it explicit. Get your team, yeah. get a good facilitator. It's something we can help you do. Work out what you know. What you don't know are your hypotheses that you want to test. Don't go into a white piece, a piece of research with a white space asking dumb questions because you'll get dumb answers. Go yeah. in with well-honed hypotheses, what if questions, what if statements. Ask to spend a lot of time working out the questions you're going to ask. Design the process around the consumer and the insight. If consumers want to be on sending you, you know, pictures of their homes, what they're doing, go there. You know, do not be sitting back saying we'll do this, that. 
find out how to get it you know get the experts who ask really good questions and who are passionate about what you're trying to do do not go to you know so getting the right researcher who's passionate about unlocking it will be brave and put themselves on the line to ask those really good questions and then you can quantify it later but get you know statistics are good for seeing where is the heat on an insight but really get to the insight which is a human truth which isn't always articulated in a very binary questionnaire so get it and get you know you need to get immersed in it client be part of the project you cannot afford to sit back and wait for the report that's the last thing you want to do you should make it agile get change change it as you go it's a project it's a program you know and bring that consumer in to as many of your colleagues and get as many of your team on board because it's a brilliant learning process and i find that you know most people wait for a research report a debrief that's the last thing you need to be waiting for you need to be listening to the consumer with the experts you know they will digest it synthesize it and then really tearing it apart to say what does that mean for our business and i suppose that's where data needs to move into the insight piece yes. not research research is the process it, so i go back to say it's very important it's the process of collecting it it's not the product you get that data you, you really tear it apart with the client you find out what's that insight and that's what's exciting so when we worked say with heineken on um orchard thieves previously or island's edge you know what are those kind of territories that you can own or unlock that people they don't say they're unhappy uh, leading number one brands but it's not satisfying their needs yeah. but a- by asking the right questions you will find out what needs it's not satisfying so you can find a usp um for your product positioning in your territories so it's a it's a game of working with the right people who are bold and brave enough to ask the right questions and really passionate about getting to your insight and then working to unlock the insight and getting teams around you to really take to the next level in terms of the positioning moving it into strategy and then obviously or whatever wherever it goes whatever problem you're trying to solve comes but it's asking the hard questions and digging deep it's there's no easy approach to this it's not like we're going to go in and um, do a piece of research we're going to dig deep until we find a really good insight that's it's the digging deep thing and that's probably where the expertise comes in like yourselves at mccp but it, it is that piece of really digging deep and and you also said tearing it apart as well, like being able to go, well, no, we got distracted by that. That's not exactly. actually the insight. Yeah. This is this is where we think there's real um, potency, I think, you know, in, in, yeah. in a potential insight. And yeah, I think you... And great insights can reframe. So, for example, when yes. we worked with the team, um, the tourism teams at the time for the Wild Atlantic Way proposition, we didn't ask ourselves what people, um, we had all the data, a lot of inf- a lot of research done, but we didn't ask ourselves, what do people think of the West of Ireland? You know, we asked okay. ourselves a bigger question is how, because the problem to be solved was how to put Ireland, a catalytic idea, which was the strategy we had helped shape the team to put Ireland on the map for people who'd never heard of it, you know, or people who hadn't been to Ireland before, who say they'd come one day, but not now. Had no urgency but we knew we knew from our foresight that people had bucket lists when they travel i went to tick 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 so they wanted to read 66 they want to go to australia they want to do the barrier reef they want to do x they want to go home and talk about it and amplify it through social media that was a very important start point so we didn't say well actually how where's the west of Ireland got to do that we said we said how do we become one of those destinations um so that was the start question and then we deconstructed what the other you know des- global destinations which right. the client says we've got open hell competing with uh, the great barrier reef or destination or route 66 but actually 
what is the thing that we can do? And we already had a route. It was called the West. There was a lot of Atlantis. Yeah. There was a lot of potency. So we started in a different place. And I think that's, that's disruptive thinking. Mm-hmm. It's to start, start with where we want to go, the vision, and work back from there as opposed to saying, where are we now and how do we move forward? So we had a great ambition. The team at the time had a great ambition around that piece when we were working on it. And how do we get there? And that you know, that was a very good day's work. And it came from existing information through looking at it a different set of lens. Yeah, which is, yeah, related worlds maybe in a way. And I think it's like, and the Waterland way, phenomenally successful, like hugely successful with kind of repositioning, you know, Ireland, but that part of Ireland, I think even to the point where, you know, the Wild Atlantic Way, people, you know, in the south coast of Ireland want to be part of the Wild Atlantic Way. We all do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all need it. <laughs> so yeah. it was just so successful for tourism. Yeah, great products. You don't need to communicate, you know, the yeah. communication makes it easier. You don't need that. You know, it, it sells itself to an extent. Of course, it doesn't need communication, but it doesn't need as much. The name the, and the naming, to be fair, the team themselves really coined the proposition. Yes, the, the naming was was great. You've, and you mentioned a few of the marketing um campaigns I guess that, you know, that have come out of the work that you've you've done through through your your career so far are there any that kind of and you've named so many I'm like how could you pick one but are there any that stand out to you as kind of ones where you feel the process that you helped the client go through or when you were in the agencies really delivered and um, kind of the, at the end result is kind of something that you today are like I, I love that piece of work I suppose they all had their own kind of team. So working with O2 back in the day was very was very interesting and very successful. Um, I suppose Heineken work would always be very much up there because it's very consistent and we'd have worked with them uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, and then in particular, so Heineken itself, the brand is very consistent, even though the campaigns will evolve over time. Um, Orchard Thieves was a, a challenger. We always love working in challenger brands because you can come in, you could really find the insight that's different. Um, and when it launched, you know, we would have worked on the brief to the agencies, the integrated brief with the client hand and glove. Um, that was quite a disruptor. And it, it's the number one brand, alcohol brand amongst 20 somethings. And that's based on work that was done over five, six years ago. So, you know, and again, it was a very integrated effort with the team in Heineken. So we're a part of the team and indeed the agencies. And then more recently, I suppose that proposition is Island's Edge, which we're very, very proud yeah. of. And we're shortlisted for awards based on the proposition thinking and the insights to get there. It's, it's a stout that's that's very different, but uh, becoming very compelling to its audience based on its truths. Smurfit Kappa, very different to B2B brand. Again, working with the team and Smurfit Kappa. Uh, on open the future positioning. Uh, so that's, you know, they all last a long time, I suppose is the key point. You know, that's yeah. seven, eight years and the teams are still working on that. MasterCard, as I mentioned. Uh, so I'm proud of them all in different ways because they achieve certain things. And, you know, I would have worked on a campaign for Diet Coke, <laughs> silver bottle. <laughs> Back in the day, it was an activation actually. Yeah. But it became a global campaign that they used. And again, it was working with the creatives and mechanics at the time make up management of the client it was making the brand we, we changed its livery for an event and um it was very unique imagery and it became very evocative at the time and provocative actually for it was a 48 sheet but it won loads of awards and it generated huge sales and it became a global it ran in the uk in a number of markets oh, wow. so again great work and a sprite campaign back in the day as well would have 
generated lots of ideas. But I suppose the, the work at MCCP, the Heineken work that's ongoing uh, with the different teams there, it's more for capital work would be some of the, uh, and there's some more in the pipe right now. Because they're consistent, they hang off good ideas. I admire Dove, I admire IKEA because they're also based on, I'm a fan of the big idea that can extend over time and can get executed brilliantly. Um, and obviously there's other great campaigns made in Ireland, you know, a lot of retail yeah. campaign at the moment that relies on humour. But I suppose Irish budgets don't tend to have the big idea that can live for many years because th- that commands a lot of budgets and a lot of markets contributing to it. Yeah, and I think, you know, some of those that you've talked about, because they've been consistent over time, you know, it does talk to the the foundation of the work, you know, that it's not just kind of a... Give me three weeks to write a brief. No, it's yeah, exactly. And yeah. then you yeah. go away for three weeks and come back and then we'll tell you how bad the work is. You know, that, yeah, like, it's, 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 and it's a collaboration with the yeah. clients there. You know, they, they want to get it right. They'll do the insight work. They'll have the many sessions to get it right. And they're brave and they, they stand over it and they continue to refine it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember an occasion and you were you or your team were probably there where there was a, a an O2 coming together of all the agencies and you know it was Paul Derv and Ema McCarthy were kind of yes. bringing everyone together and kind of saying this is the group of people that we you know we need to work together and collaborate and probably you know like any of those things there was always agencies kind of going well if we could get this piece and they could get that piece and they're like no no this you, you all know your yeah. pieces and let's work yeah. together and then I think you know, I think Donald, Connor that was you nailed it you know you were Paul, yourself and Ema were excellent doing that. You, you gave the agencies trust, so you all felt you were part of something special and you really wanted wanted it to work and you put your best foot forward. I think clients that are like that are really good because they, they don't see it as a them and us in a contest. They see it as you're all in this, this is your role, this is what we need to get to. Very visionary. Uh, I can name four or five other clients who I still work with who are like that and just brilliant clients. And I think it is a collaboration. It's not a, it's not a competition. You know, It's about a great team that brings its own skills but leaves its ego at the door and works relentlessly to get to great work. That's working relentlessly for great work. I think that's that's wonderful because it doesn't come easy. And I think sometimes people do see work that's amazing and it's like, oh, wow, you know, but that's not easy, you know, and no. it's not, it's, it's a tough and there's so many people that have a view on work as you say like yeah. the ad it's yeah. you know the ad's not yeah. the work, the ad's part yeah. of yeah. an output <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. Um, you you talked a bit about you know your passion for for learning i think you know what are the things you do that kind of for your for your i guess your growth your mental maybe your mental growth yeah so i i kind of I'm curious and I think we all have to be if we're in our game and the world is always changing so you have to kind of keep learning so I learned a lot on the job you know so obviously you know you, you bring your experience you fuse it to what you're learning so I learned a lot on the job obviously my colleagues my clients so you learn a lot on the job right but I also uh, continue to train so I've completed an advanced leadership course with Temeni Leadership um, who would use global um Harvard and is a lecturers for leadership and case study approach and I'm part of the alumni so I'm continuing to learn so that's a brilliant learning ground I then pick teams right so be that personal or professional so if I want to upscale on um b2b rebranding or the future of i kind of make that my thing for a quarter or a sprint i kind of focus on sprints because i found that i've very little time and how do i cram so cramming isn't always a good idea so and obviously there's so much coming at you i kind of have you know where will i find the right information for this so i collate it i use my own process discovery i pick subjects that i need to upscale on um and then i 
give myself a dedicated time to upscale on them. And some could be short, short term. I could be working a new pitch for some product. That's a new product range that I have. I absolutely know nothing about. It could be some rare medicine. I got upscale really quickly. So I've got obviously that's something you just got to be able to do in our game. You know, you learn quickly. You ask the right questions, learn quickly. Um, so I'm always reading kind of you know latest thinking in marketing. I don't always believe it. So I. I that's the other thing you should not always believe everything you read because we know that lots of stuff isn't true anymore so you need to bring your filter to it and challenge it and discuss it with good colleagues so i'd meet and and my own team we always have discoveries we talk so you need to kind of talk about it what are other people's views in it you know where and other cmos and ceos um so I would then, I suppose, also, you know, I'm learning new stuff. So at the moment, I'm learning Italian because partly yeah. I go to Italy and I haven't been there in a while. And I, I don't want to be speak. I want to be able to understand them because I'm curious. I want to be able to yeah. talk to them about stuff. Yeah. Now, I've, I have very good French because I did French in college and I was very lucky to grow up with some very nice French people. So I, uh, so that's a new thing. Uh, and so I pick topics in that are new and I put them into the mix. And it's surprising. You can draw parallels you right. know, between certain things in your learning practice. I'm also doing um, uh, an art appreciation course. It's very random. Right. It's something I always wanted to do. So I said, I'm going to do this before uh, the end of the summer because I spend a lot of time using looking at art and yeah. I want to be able to interpret it. And actually, what's very interesting is I'm only on my... And these are all online now because of, of the world we live in. It's brilliant. I don't have to move outside my home to do these. I can do it <laughs> in the evening. Um, but, but you miss the chat and the, and the conversation. Yes. Afterwards. But, yeah. but, but the parallels, you know, so when you learn something that's not in your immediate topic... Because if you can join the dots really quickly, you will find that they will help you in other ways. You know, so it might be complete. So it's very good to learn something that's completely got obviously nothing to do with what you think you're doing. But you will find parallels insofar as there may be themes that people um, themes will come up or learning practice. Um, and then personally, like I'd like to, I, I like entertaining people, so I'd, I would. Um, y- focus on certain kinds of cooking styles, etc. So I'd give myself short sprints on those uh, running. Nice. I want to be able to run a lot of 5Ks this year. So I've started that last year. So I suppose it's finding areas to stretch yourself yeah. that will help you in other areas. And I don't always make it as conscious, but if you're running, you can't really be thinking about, you can be thinking about a client's project, but it's a good way to turn off as well and get yes. fit. So it ticks two boxes at once because you have to be super effective with your time. There's no point faffing around looking for stuff. You know, you've got to be really organized because uh, you can lose a lot of time. So it's it's making your learning fun, helping par- develop part of you that you're not developing um, on your day-to-day and acknowledging and accepting that it might put a, give you an insight on something that you're doing completely random yeah. or not. And that's part of the fun. That's okay, and you yeah. Meet different people, and that's okay too, yeah. And it's okay for, yeah, for if it does, great. If it doesn't, also great. And I love yeah. the idea of the sprint, though, because I think maybe other people listening would feel the same I kind of feel there's lots I want to do and and I don't know if I give it that focus saying this is the thing this quarter because for everything in the business we've quarterly goals so you know my quarterly goal probably should be around one of those and and get more focused I'll give it a precise time yeah Yeah. I found that new resolutions were I was kind of writing them down and I was looking back over them the last few years and think they're always the same why haven't they changed (laughs) and then I decided aha (laughs) the reason these need to change is it needs this much time and attention so I now need to give it if it's going to work because I don't want to be here sitting here again that's not working I'm going to just 
I'm going to find a slot in my diary and give it the three months. And some things will take two years, but to acknowledge that and get, have short rewards and short returns. So I feel I'm making progress and it's giving me some sense of accomplishment as opposed to sitting here thinking, why haven't I done that again? And accepting, look, in the summer, um, I'm going to be busier because there's more to do outdoors. So yes. this is actually a really good time because when the evenings are dark, you know, yeah. we can all overdo Netflix. There's not much more to watch. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched Netflix, yeah. It's, uh, and even that I was thinking your art appreciation in Italian, you know, you go to Italy and loads yeah. of art galleries. And, That'll connect that'll be nice. quite quickly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I get more from them. So yes. I think it's back yeah. to, you know, um, to me, one of the most precious things, and look, I've lost a few people, friends and relatives in the last year to, not to COVID, but to the right. And I've kind of realized that time is something that we, we assume we have lots of time yes. in our life, but we don't. So saying I leave these things to later, I get more enjoyment if I do them now. And they also will act as a switch off for me from my other major hobby, which is my work, you know, yeah. and I can do them with my friends, my husband um, and get more enjoyability. And I think it's, it's trying to I'm seeing life differently. You know, how can I get most use of my time? And sometimes that's relaxing, but I relax through learning and meeting people. Yeah. Well, as opposed to sitting there watching TV, you know. We're almost at time and I can't believe that's gone so fast. I think I'd love to maybe kind of end with maybe kind of if you would top three tips for somebody listening today who's either starting out a career or somebody who's maybe later on in a career, you know, in the broader marketing world, you know, but based on your experience, what would what would tips be that you'd have for somebody kind of thinking about a, a career in marketing? Well, I think the first thing is to, to not to think of it as kind of an interesting, fun job, because <laughs> that's what it's probably sold as. Think of it as marketing is a fantastic um, career for somebody who wants to really, who lo- you must love brands, right? That's the first thing. So you need to find a passion within that. And if you're not, like, it's, it's not a mortal sin, but find your passion within marketing, because it's just a very wide field. Um, go into it and learn in the early days, go broad you need to learn there's lots of disciplines within marketing and more and more over time as you know Connor so kind of media investment is you know a really important part because that's where the business metrics there's the brand side of it so carve marketing up into the different spheres of it and get a good experience from the best in class in each of those spheres so you can learn if you're starting out you know you need all these pieces and I need to learn them in the best possible place where I can expose to lots of great brands and lots of great people who, who have that knowledge because that's the best way to learn. You can go on all the courses you like, but the more practical side is the best way to learn. Get the broad fears, really learn, put in the time and learn yourself outside the time. You know, if you're not prepared to give it, you know, the extra 20% outside your office hours, you are just going to not make the top end. You know, you've yeah. really got to work hard at it. And I suppose the third piece is, you know, um, once you once you build up, you know, and that could take you five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve years, the experience in the individual areas, then you've got to lock into there is you've got to really excel at, you know. So what part of that, you know, because the marketing director has to have all it done, but they've got to be re- they've got to be brilliant at strategy or if you go into comms, it's execution, you know. So find yeah. out then where you really are brilliant at. And that's where you've got to go super, you know, supercharging yourself on and learning and working then with the best specialists or the best people in that space to practice your wares and to learn your wares so I suppose it's being curious learning have a huge appetite to learn 
understanding the different spheres, you're spending the right time in getting the holistic learning and then putting in the time to supercharging yourself and learning to find your brilliance within that. So I think it's a fascinating journey. It's, it's never like it's always changing. Media channels are changing. Yeah. The truths never change that much. But there's a lot of expansiveness to learn and to get good at. And I think marketing is an area that, you know, you're at the board level. You know, you are contributing. It's about growth. It's about business. It's not about a lot of people think it's making ads like that's just a part of it. Communication is very important. But there's lots of more disciplines like the product, innovation, uh, measurement, ROI, metrics. There's lots of interesting parts that, that yeah. will stick you as a business person if you want to go on into business leadership, etc. That, that I, I think absolutely on that point, I think, you know, probably when I started on my marketing journey, you know, I definitely was more on the ads side. And I think, you know, I've certainly learned over time the, the importance of being more commercially minded and business oriented and um, because look any ceo cfo you know they might have a view on an ad that you make but they care about you know revenue or you know whatever whatever those things are and you have to be able to speak that language as well so um that, that's great to get your um perspective and, and i think you talked Kay, about best in class and you know look without a doubt you're you and mccp are, are best in class in ireland so uh, thanks, yeah thanks so much for your time i thoroughly enjoyed this and you know i looked up at the clock there and an hour uh, flew past so uh i we could definitely do another one of these um but thank you so much for your time today thank you connor and the best of luck with it i hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kay mccarthy from mccp as much as i did some great nuggets for me to take away Research isn't the answer, insight is. Don't believe everything you read. Be brave and bold. Invest the time in yourself and work relentlessly for great work. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Marketing. If you did enjoy it, please do share and add comments with your feedback. For me, Connor Byrne, until next time, take care.